on, get a life. Spend six or nine months getting involved in communities across Canada. If you are between 17 and 21, not sure about your next step for college or university, want to meet people from all over Canada and want to put something impressive on your resume, then listen to those that got a life. Check out gokatimovic.com. That's go, K-A-T-I-M-A-V-I-K.com. Come on, get a life. Wednesday, everyone. My name is Tracy Fuller, and this is the Arts Report for Wednesday, May 27th, 2009. It's another beautiful day out there. I, I don't know. It's not as though I have a, a, a deal with Mother Nature to make every Wednesday wonderful, but for at least the last couple of weeks, Wednesdays have been wonderful days around here. So, uh, A big happy smile going out there to all of you. I hope you've been enjoying the sunshine, getting your vitamin D, but also heading out to enjoy your local art scene. I know I have been as much as possible, and I've been sending out my reviewers as well. So, as per usual, I have an action-packed show for you today. And um, I guess a rundown of what we're looking at, Office Farms Films, Office Farm Films, excuse me. I've got the two co-directors from Electric Messiah into the studio. Uh, I'm going to be playing three tracks of music today. I've got uh, Neil LeBute's Fat Pig, a review by Carrie Baptist from the News 101 team, and we're going to be having a chat about that. I talked to the, coder, the artistic director and founder of the Bard on the Beach Festival, which is opening tomorrow, people. And I spoke to two of the youngest stars on the Les Miserables um, cast. I sat down with the two of them, the little Cosette and the little Gavroche, and I talked about uh, their experience in the production. So... A big, huge, wonderful show for you today. But off the top, my very special feature, uh, local filmmakers John Pichotin and Zachary Rothman are the men behind Electric Messiah, which is the first of a seven-part series of films that uh, are beyond description. It's difficult to say exactly... um, how to characterize this film. I, some of you may remember I had Zach on earlier this year, but the long and the short of it is that Electric Messiah is having a screening next week at the Pacific Cinematheque. And Electric Messiah is the first in what is bound to be a wonderful uh, series of films out of right out of Vancouver here. I got both co-directors sitting down in CITR studios yesterday. And so I've recorded this little interview. Uh, I've top and tailed it with a little bit of music and uh, some sounds from the production itself. So sit back, relax, and let me introduce you once again to Zachary Rothman and John Pichotin. I hope you enjoy this Office Farms Films Office Farm Films. Jeez, I'm having a plural day. Anyways, uh, enjoy. My name is Zachary Rothman. I'm the co-writer, co-producer, and co-director of Electric Messiah, the Office Farm series, part one. And I'm John Pesosian, filmmaker and photographer. 
right, well, our listeners may remember that I had Zach in the studio in the fall to talk a little bit about the film, what it's about, and what you guys were doing, mm-hmm. but it's quite a few months later. You've got a screening coming up at the Pacific Cinematheque next Tuesday night. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Can, uh, can, the bo- can both of you tell me where you've been from that point and where you are now? Well, Tracy, uh, last time we spoke, we were in the middle of post-production. Um, post-production for this film was maybe different than other films I've done. Um, and I think that's owing to the fact that uh, we at Office Farm Films like to experiment with technologies that are untested. And uh, that was the case with this. We shot on a red camera, which at the time was pretty new. A few people had shot on it, but... Um, this was uh, last summer. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was brand new technology pretty much in, the, in North America. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting into post-production on a camera which software hasn't really been properly written for was a bit of a uh, stumbling block. Mm-hmm. It took quite some time and learning curve for all of us trying to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, a Mac virus, uh, possibly on account of downloading some footage in Gaza. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Uh, which uh, raced all our work one day. Uh, it, it took a long time, but but we did, in the process, have a long time to uh, rethink our film mm-hmm. and reimagine some things. Um, yeah, that's true, and that's a really good point, because when you, when you work on a project um, and you race through it, you tend to kind of go with your first ideas, you know, like the first instincts, and those aren't always the best because, you know, you, you, you start a film in a small film, you know, that's under, uh, underfunded, way underfunded, and you pretty much have to follow your shot list. Mm-hmm. You've got to shoot it, and that's not always going to work in the editing room, and sometimes you've got to find creative ways around it, but if you rush through the post, you kind of go with those first ideas, and they may not be the best, mm-hmm. you know, so actually all those... Um, all those things that stopped us maybe were the best thing that could have, that could have happened because it gave us a chance to rethink things, as Zach said, mm-hmm. come up with new solutions and um, and uh, have the time to, 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 to sit back and, and wonder, it could be better if we tried this. Let's try it. We have the time. Right. So there were substantial changes in the last couple of months that perhaps you didn't foresee the last before all these hiccups came Absolutely, about? absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of changes. And one was the title, I believe. Uh, the last time we, we <laughs> filmed this, uh, I think uh, The Anthropologist was the title of this yes. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's still a very big part of the film. But uh, Electric Messiah, which is actually mentioned in the movie, it it's just sort of under the radar. You get so used to your own your own script and your own work that mm-hmm. the most obvious t- title, even for it, right. gets overlooked. And uh, and that was the case with this too. And you know, over the course of of editing and re-editing, and then crying, and then re-editing <laughs> it again, uh, we we you know we discovered that that some of the essential story points we were sort of missing on our own, and that was mm. that was great. Um, yeah. I wonder whether some of these changes will carry through in the in the following follow-up uh, episodes. As we mentioned before, it's part Office Farms films. Electric Messiah is part of a seven-part series. The process that you went through, which was drawn out, as we mentioned, will this influence the way that you make the next the next couple of films, or the way that you're foreseeing the end of this story? Um. Um. Time will tell. I don't think we've gone that far yet as mm-hmm. far as maybe changing the overall scope of the story, but um, you know, 
this was a real big learning curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime you make a film, you learn a lot. And since we want to continue with this material, you know, this was our first piece, so now we really know, you know, the universe of one of our main characters. Right. You know, and I think what we were able to do with that person and actually fleshing it out mm-hmm. through an amazing performance by our, our lead, Billy Marchensky, as right. Kevin, who listeners might have recently seen in Leaky Heaven's production of Antigone, which was amazing. That's right. Yes. And, uh, I haven't have seen it yet. Zach saw it the other day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's very impressed by his performance. Yeah. Um, so now that we know what we can do with the material, mm-hmm. you know, like we think it's even richer than when we first wrote it, mm-hmm. started writing it five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to have a big influence on where we go with it. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing that you, you kind of get from this is, you know, especially starting a new project that's so big, that's so many parts to it, that has kind of its own universe. Um, trusting people with the material is a lot of the process. And, and, and you know, finding Billy Marchensky to play the, the lead role was was a total coup for us it, right. it kind of came out of left field from the back of my mind to have him come in and audition and 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 then you also you build relationships with crew that you trust and yeah, sure. uh you know in a city with so many people working in film there are a lot of, of technicians who can do the job but but imagination and just something that i you know the 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 collaborative environment that you get with certain people that's mm-hmm. that really makes it more than you know just the sum of their parts um that's something that's really special and you know we have kind of a core group of people now that we that we work with that we continue to work with mm-hmm. and and that that came out of it and i think mm-hmm. you know that makes the next one so much easier mm-hmm. and from a i would imagine from an outsider's perspective if someone wants is interested in investing in you guys after seeing this screening on tuesday and wanting to, to have the follow-up episodes and help make that happen it's considering all the stumbling that you've done to get this here you're totally ready to go to the next step and get those next series out there i'm wondering whether or not uh well what Obviously, when you bring a large audience in front of a film for the first time, that's a huge learning experience as well. What are you expecting next Tuesday, or what are you hoping? Well, we're uh, we're hoping that people laugh mostly in the right places. <laughs> I think because it's a black comedy, so you know we're we're sort of we're pushing the envelope at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody's going to like it or get it in the right places. So. Uh, I think we'll learn a lot from our audience. For, mm-hmm. This will be our first big screening. Actually, mm-hmm. it'll be our first screening of any sort with the final film. Mm-hmm. We had a fundraiser in December, but they only saw a trailer. So yeah, I was at that fundraiser. I I did a little bit of um of singing on the stage. Uh, yeah, but um, <laughs> but yes. Oh, would, you, would, you, was, would you like to recap? Uh, no, I don't think anyone <laughs> wants me to recap what I did on that stage that night. But um, we did see a, a really interesting teaser, but it w- really was just that, a teaser of the film. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, how long is the is the final production? It's 14 minutes. Okay. Yeah. okay. And how many people are you expecting? How many people fit into the Pacific Cinematheque? Well, it has a seating capacity of about 300, I think, but we're hoping to get 1,000. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Triple up the seats. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, I should also say that whoever uh, comes to the screening, it, it's free. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is beer and wine for sale um, that will hopefully help us pay back some of the rental fees. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's really cheap. Three bucks. Right. So it was really just a celebration. We want people to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a Tuesday night, what else are you going to do? You know? Exactly. It's a great thing to do. Um, doors at 7, show at 8. Mm-hmm. And we're also showing um, some films. A couple of our crew members also make films. They're mm-hmm. part of a, another production company in town called Kijo Film. So they have um, 
they actually they got inspired by seeing Zach and I work, mm-hmm. um, seeing co-directors work because you know there's a lot of horror stories about it. But we worked so well together that they got inspired to make a film as co-directors and also co-stars of mm-hmm. their own film. So we'll premiere that as well the same night. So it'll be about five shorts. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that film's called The Famishing. The Famishing. Mm-hmm. All right. It's very good. Fantastic. Well, yeah. we'll all be out to see it, hopefully. I hope so. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I mean, as you said, there's lots of horror stories, and most directors, when you think of a director, it's usually sing- single names and uh, single visions. It, what What's the process been like? How did you find each other, and what's the process been like for you two? <laughs> well, uh, I found Zach, um, <laughs> what was it, 1975, when, when my uncle brought him home oh. from the hospital. A rude awakening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, we're yeah, we're first cousins. Right. So yeah, growing up together, um, and individually making films and doing art, and then about six years ago, we started to write this film. Mm-hmm. Well, the feature that this film is taken from. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. did you have any expectation that it would, like, when you started, were you like, yes, we're actually going to follow this through? Because sometimes it's a lark, and you start writing things with friends in creative circles, and you know, it it's not necessarily something that becomes what you envisioned six years ago it's true yeah Yeah, it changed a lot um i I think we always intended to produce it as something um originally this film started out with johnny on the street uh looking up at a at a window in an office um i don't know if we spoke about this last time but a a little bit i think it was the inspiration coming out of your own experiences but then also out of this uh on the road moment Mm -hmm. so we we wanted to make a short film about uh an office that you only see from three different angles and Mm -hmm. sort of and as soon as you start writing something like this you realize there's just the material is so much Mm -hmm. richer Mm -hmm. um but at the very beginning, too, like it, 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 we were trying to push the envelope of technology. We were planning on shooting it on Super 8, but with mm-hmm. modern film emulsions, so mm-hmm. to have a Super 8 look, but with a very modern look also, combining mm-hmm. it. And So we already had interesting ideas that we were playing with to try and, and sort of blaze new territory with the look of a project. Mm-hmm. So to follow that all the way to the way we shot it last, last summer, mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of like how we both, our processes are, you know, we're trying to do new things, innovative things, and and uh, and stand out, you know, mm-hmm. with our projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now that it's it's come to to this point, um, we were talking. I was talking with Zach a little bit before about um, deciding to bring it to the screen and when and where and where you hope it will premiere because it's not yet festival season, but that's really the next big milestone, I imagine, for the film. And what what. What's next for what are you guys hoping will be next? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, festivals, that's how you have to start. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you meet uh, a lot of people, mm-hmm. and that's where you make connections for your next projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we funded this, you know, out of our own pockets and through the BC Arts Council, mm-hmm. which, you know, we're really grateful for that we got some seed money from them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, publicly funded. Canadian films are often way underfunded because that's the reality and it's just too stressful so you need to find people who will be your producers and find you that that private money mm-hmm. so a festival is a great place to start to do that make mm-hmm. connections for that yeah another great thing about 
this project is the the first question you hear at a film festival is what's your next project Mm -hmm. and the fact that this is tied to a larger series of films whether it ends up on television or whether it ends up just as a separate series of films we're not sure yet the material's there it's just a matter of which way it gets worked Mm -hmm. but having our next project which i mean we're we're in the funding applications for our, our our corporate video stop and smell the coffee mm-hmm. um this week and um you know that's our next project and the next project after that we know what that is too right. and uh it goes on and on so we're ready send us the money <laughs> <laughs> checks in the mail hopefully <laughs> is, but is there a specific festival that you would like if everything worked out in your favor where would you love to see it premiere where would be the best place f- from your perspective, that you could really like hit the ground running. Well, I think there's a couple ways to answer that. Like, there's the business side, mm. and there's also the artistic side. And like Toronto International Film is probably the biggest festival for a short film in Canada, maybe North America, right? To hit the ground running and meet producers and everything. Mm. Mainly because it's one of the top festivals, period, but also because it's Canadian, right? But uh, what's that one in France called? Um, that great short festival. Oh. Uh, uh, Claire. You can edit out all my ums. Uh, Clermont Ferrand. Uh, yeah. yeah, that one is uh, that one would be really special to go to. I'd really yeah. like to to go to that. It's more of an artistic festival, and mm-hmm. it's it's exciting. Uh, you know, that kind yeah. of creative energy all in one place is. Uh, I've only experienced it at a couple of smaller festivals, and I can only sort of imagine what that one is like. I'm I'm excited about it. Um, right. We're applying to it, and um, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I imagine. Um, do you expect the the industry, uh, the Vancouver, because we spoke, there's so much uh, film going on here already. Are you expecting or do you want a lot of the Vancouver film industry to come on Tuesday night or to to see it? Uh, to Is there, uh, I don't know, a, a drive or a desire on your part for this hometown crowd to to really get a sense of what, what it is you've been doing? And well, I, I don't know... The scope of this project actually coming to light is is that does that have a an importance for you? Yeah, I I I'd love for the the film community to come. We've sent out some invitations to a lot of them, um, and one of the reasons is um, film in Vancouver can be um, standard um, mm-hmm. because there's not enough funding. You end up sort of catering to TV tastes. Um, Lowest common denominator, reality shows, movies of the week. I mean, this is people's bread and butter in this town. And mm-hmm. it's affected the way people want to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And ours is fantasy and it's and it's dark and it's exciting and it's different. And it's got ways of telling stories that are not normally done. Mm-hmm. Um, the line between fantasy and reality is not clear. And I want to inspire people here to try and make films that are more exciting and better and, and to test new technologies when they exist and to... Mm-hmm to really kind of explore that dark territory that people don't go into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think we want to come. I think we have a few beefs with some of them, but yeah, uh, hopefully they're very one. politically correct so far. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to burn any bridges, or maybe you do, depending. But, um, Blaze new trails. That's that. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, well, I guess... I mean, that's... Is there anything else? Anything else? Well, I, I would just, again, and, you know, you can probably probably end up I, doing this too, but 
uh, next Tuesday, June 2nd, mm-hmm. Pacific Cinematheque, 7 p.m. The door is open. Come see Electric Messiah starring Billy Marchensky of Antigone Undone, Sean Allen, who was in The Watchmen, and uh, a lot of other really, really, really excellent local actors. And come and see The Famishing uh, by Jay Rathor, Tony Dirk, and Toby Gorman. Mm-hmm. Um, post-apocalyptic like you've never seen it before and uh, you'll love it so come out have a few drinks and uh, have a chat with us and if you need to see see some more information or watch our teaser online you can check it out at officefarmfilms.com there we go well thank you gentlemen so much for coming into the studio best of luck and I will be there next Tuesday and I hope that all of our listeners come out it's going to be an awesome event it's free 7 o'clock doors 8 o'clock show head on down to the Pacific Cinematheque thanks so much guys welcome and the sweetest of dreams to you and yours. Uh, I love that cut in there. That's the elderly gentleman who is one of the cast of amazing characters featured in Electric Messiah by Office Farm Films. That was my conversation with Zachary Rothman and John Peshoten. They came into the studio yesterday. They are both talented and fantastic individuals. So to recap, even though... The, director, the directors said it best themselves. Next Tuesday night, that's May 2nd, at the Pacific Cinematheque. Head on down for the free screening. Drinks are $3, people. I mean, you're not going to get a better deal than that. And after the, the two films, Electric Messiah and The Famishing, uh, Duncan McHugh, our very own CITR DJ, will be hosting a Q&A with both directors. So if you liked what you heard here, you can head on down to the Pacific, Pacific Cinematheque, 7 o'clock doors, 8 o'clock show, and uh, check it all out. I will be there. I hope you are there, too. And before I hit you with a PSA, I'm going to play a quick track from Hannah Georges, who will be playing with Danny Michelle and Carolyn Mark at the Biltmore this Thursday, May 28th. Hannah Georges is a quirky, highly sensitive, whimsical, and yet serious Vancouver-based singer-songwriter. She's originally from Toronto, and she wrote her first song on the piano at the age of five. She's gone from there to rocking out in coffee shops and playing the ACC in Toronto. So certainly it's been a wild ride for her. But uh, she's got a great new disc out. And this is probably my favorite little hum and track. I've been biking all over town singing this one in my head. So this is The Beat Stuff by Hannah Georges on CITR 101.9 FM. It's like you said, this is way too tough We've got no way to make it out there all alone Out there on our own When times get tough, you got my back Don't know what I'd do without you, I'd be all alone Out there on my own
beat stuff. Give me that. The beat beat stuff. Give me that. The beat beat stuff. Give me that. The beat beat stuff. Give me that. Beat beat stuff. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Ain't got no fancy ride. Ain't got no money to go out tonight. All I got is this feeling inside. All I got is this beep beep inside. And all I know is what I want. All I know is what I want. And all I know is what I want. It's The BC SPCA in your community is competing in a provincial-wide adoption challenge to find more loving homes for animals during the month. The Great BC SPCA Adoption Challenge is a reminder to animal lovers to make the BC SPCA their first adoption option. So open your heart and your home and give a homeless animal a second chance during the BC SPCA Adoption Challenge. Visit spca.bc.ca for more information. Oh, puppy love. It's about 5.30 here in Vancouver. This is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm Tracy Fuller. Now, I had the great pleasure to head out to see the new production of Les Miserables, which is playing at the Stanley Industrial Alliance last week, and it is a fantastic show. For any of you who have seen it before, uh, often it will get this huge production on a major stage with revolving scenery, and it's, it's just spectacular. If you go to see it as a child, you're just captivated. It's impossible to discern where things are coming from. There's explosions, there's highs, there's lows, there's stealing bread, there's... Oh, it's just... One of the best musicals in the world, absolutely, bar none. But um, I know that the first time I saw Les Mis, I was about seven years old, and I absolutely was dying to be Cosette. The young Cosette has uh, Castle on a Cloud is her one major belting tune, and God knows I wanted to be that girl. I I sung that song so many times, it was ridiculous. And I'm sure that many young boys who have dreams of being involved in musical theater also have thought of being the young Gavroche character, these two very strong, young, independent voices in this overall amazing musical. So I decided that I wanted to get in touch with the younger stars of Les Mis, and I sat down with two of them last week and I've put together this little mashup of some songs and some of our question and answers. I hope you enjoy it. They will introduce themselves at the beginning of this tape. So from Les Mis, the new production at the Stanley Industrial Alliance, here is Little Cosette and Gavroche. They laugh at me, these fellas, just because I am small. They laugh at me because I'm not a hundred feet tall. Tell them there's a lot to learn down here on the ground The world is big but little people 
Hi, I'm Joshua John Michael Ballard, and I'm playing the role of Garrosh in Les Miserables. My name is Emily Matchett, and I play Little Cosette. What was it like to get involved in this production? Had you ever heard the music or seen the musical before? Uh, yeah, I've done this show very many times before, at least like five times, so I really knew what I had to do and stuff. <laughs> so in the, re in the audition process, were you pretty confident that you were going to get the role? Um, the first one, no, but the one I got the second callback, I was pretty confident when I got the third callback, yeah, I was so confident. Is this your career? Is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? Yes, definitely. How did you figure out, or how did your parents figure out, maybe, that you are destined for the stage? Well, my mom and dad have been involved in theatre for a long time, and um, they just, I loved doing every singing and all that. Do you sing together as a family? Yes, in the car, in trips. What will you remember about this production? When you've already done it five times and had a lot of experience, what's special about this particular production? Um, it cost a lot more. <laughs> and the set's way better. And you? Um, it's my first professional <laughs> musical ever done. You'll probably remember it for a long time. Do you have a favorite character in the production? I'm a fan of Mr. Schneider. I think he's really funny. <laughs> Those are the uh, the two innkeepers, um, the husband and and you. Do you have a favorite character? Um, I like every character, but Tanati is really funny. What is your favorite part of Les Mis when you're watching it and performing it in this amazing theater with all these people? What's your favorite part every night? Uh, to tell you the truth, it's also fantastic. It can't have a favorite part. When you're on stage twice every Saturday and Wednesday and almost every other night. What is it still exciting every time you go out there? Yeah, every time before a show, it's crazy. I always get that funky feeling. I kind of hide it and don't let anybody else know, but I'm telling now, so. <laughs> I think maybe everyone gets it. Do you get it as well? Definitely. Every night? Definitely. <laughs> Over the past month, you've been rehearsing probably non-stop. What are some of the most memorable days that you've had? Um, probably the very first day I went, and um, I think I was the last person to join in the rehearsal process. So I got to stand up in front of everybody and in introduce myself. Were you nervous? A little. Do you want to continue acting in musicals for the rest of your life, or what? What's What's the next step for you? Uh. I do want to continue acting, but I also want to become a SWAT agent or a baseball player. A SWAT agent? SWAT. Oh. It's like a special police force. It's kind of like a counter-terrorist type of thing. Wow. And an actor and a baseball player? Oh, no, baseball is just like a hobby. Okay. Wow, that, you're a very ambitious boy. <laughs> so what's it like to work with all these other really amazing singers? Everybody is just so fantastic and kind and nice and talented. 
and you'll be on stage for just about a month. Are you worried about losing your voice or something like that? I'm a little bit worried. I have to watch myself that I don't like yell at my brother or anything, but I think I can pull through. Do you hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again when the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums. There is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. If you had to tell all of Vancouver why they should be coming out to see this play, give your like 30 second pitch to why they should come to see Les Mis. Because Les Mis rocks, the barricade is awesome, you have to come see it because the cast can sing and we can act and we rock and yeah, we're just the best. So you guys should come see it because it's really good. Thank you, and? Um, it's a really, really fun show, and it's really fantastic to see because it can be done so many different ways, and it's just another unique, unique way of doing it. Fantastic. Well, I completely agree. It's an amazing show, and everyone should get out to see it. Thanks, guys. Some will fall and some will live. Will you stand up and take your chance? The blood of the martyrs will water the meadows of Les Miserables. I have to uh, definitely give a big thanks to Emily Machette and Joshua Ballard for sitting down with me. They are two fantastically talented young people, along with the other um, other amazing cast members. Les Mis, it's on at the Stanley Industrial Alliance until July 19th. Check it out. Uh, you won't be disappointed, I promise you. And another show you could check out and not be disappointed is... Uh, on at the Biltmore this Friday, uh, it, Junior Major uh, is actually a band with one of the band members I went to middle school with. So I knew this kid when I was like nine years old. But um, they are playing along with Way to Go Einstein and Fake Shark Real Zombie at the Biltmore this Friday. Sorry, Friday night. And so uh, here's a track from Junior Major's new album. This track is called, uh, what is it called? Fool's Gold on CITR 101.9 FM.
Vancouver Folk Music Festival presents Jeff Berner, Veda Hilly, and Dan Mangan at the Railway Club Wednesday, June 3rd. Catch a taste of this year's folk festival at your favorite Vancouver venue. A live review, a live preview of the music you'll hear at Jericho Beach this July. From the witty, through the irreverent, to the profound, these three songwriters will delight and inspire with accordion, piano, and guitar. Ticks are available at the door. Visit www.thefestival.bc.ca for more information. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. It's almost quarter to six, so we've got just a bit over 15 minutes left. And uh, I've got a very special theatre review for you. It's for Neil Labute's new play, Fat Pig, which is on stage now at Performance Works on Granville Island. It's running until this Saturday, Saturday that's May 30th. And last week, uh, Carrie Baptist from the News 101 team and I went out to see the performance. And here's Carrie's review. Hi, my name is Carrie Baptist, and I went to go see the play Fat Pig, written by Neil Butte, and currently playing at Performance Works on Granville Island. Going into the play, I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I hadn't seen a Neil Butte play before, but I was familiar with his reputation as a harsh and at times unforgiving playwright, depicting the abusive and misanthropic side of life in plays like The Company of Men or Your Friends and Neighbors. If I was expecting a play that pulled few punches, then my expectations were met and well exceeded. The theme of fat pig, body image, and the social constructs of beauty was meaningfully and complicatedly addressed. But when it came to the part about misanthropy or callous abuse, this this play fell short. Despite the character's misdeeds, we see a heart in each one. Maybe in some more than others, but nonetheless, there is definite warmth and nuance given to each of the characters, keeping them far from stereotypical. Actually, that makes the, that's what makes the play so devastating. The characters are so recognizable, so normal and human, that I kept seeing my own reflection in their dialogue and actions, to the point that I left feeling uncomfortable with myself, which is possibly the highest praise that I could give a play. Fat Pig is the type of play where you forget you're watching it and become lost in the dialogue and events, and I highly recommend it. It is directed by Michael Scholar Jr. and plays at Performance Works until this Saturday, May 30th. It plays each night at 8 p.m., and then there's a matinee at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Tickets are $22 or $18. All right, and I've got Carrie with us on the phone now because um, we had rather a, a really awesome discussion. Carrie, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. Awesome. Um, we had a great discussion after the play, and uh, in talking to people about the play afterwards, it's really difficult to describe because as a, what I said to actually um, a mutual friend of ours the other day is just that it's hard to watch sometimes. It's so, as you said in your review, honest and really uh, difficult to argue with, even though at points it's almost despicable. Yeah, very much so. I when when I was watching it, I found myself wanting to shout at the characters, you know, no, don't do that, or what are you doing? Or I was I was so engrossed in it. I, you know, it was it's one of those plays that you really get lost in. Absolutely. And but it hurts. It hurts to watch. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a train wreck in some ways. Yeah, no, it's a real kick in the teeth because it it really confronts our society's 
dependence on body image. And I think one of the things right. that stuck with me afterwards about our conversation was that you're so right when you say that all of us have flaws, but uh, for people who are overweight, that flaw is out on the on the surface and we judge them before we even talk to them about what might be wrong with them whereas the rest for for people who aren't overweight they probably have just as big problems in their lives if not larger problems but because they're inside and not physically accessible for us to judge right away we give them more credit or more benefit of the doubt exactly and it it's really unfair that way that mm-hmm. some people's um, I, you know, weaknesses or the things, you know, sort of things that are societally less accepted about them, that they're right on the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really unfair. Um, but also, we, it also for me underlined how so many of us sit in really sort of privileged positions in, in our lives and we get to, yeah, we get to hide our weaknesses. We don't have to deal with this kind of discrimination. Mm-hmm. based on how we look outwardly. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was a really big reminder about how many people face discrimination for just how they look or how they talk or, you know, any number of things, color of the skin that are visible, outwardly visible. Absolutely. And I, I think that we are still, our society is, a, speaking of North American society, of course, we're right, still totally. a long way from equality in any sense, whether it be gender or race or religion or, or uh, body size. And, and, that, and that these sort of societal constructs are so ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one, at one point, one of the characters starts talking about, he's counseling his friend, his friend should only date people who are of his same type. Yeah. You know, date within your group mm-hmm. and only date people who are like you, who are as good looking as you, who are as successful as you, mm-hmm. that you, you know, stay with your own kind. Yeah. And, 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 and I, unfortunately, I think that is really pervasive. Definitely. People get these, in, and for better or worse, people get these um, ideas about themselves. I'm X, Y, and Z. I want a partner who's the same. Mm-hmm. And of course you want a partner who shares your same values, but whether that's how does that, you know, what does that have to do with how they look or what their job is or, Absolutely. you know, I mean. Absolutely. It's really, it's really tricky and it's really complicated. And I think this play addressed those complications. It's a real gray area. Mm-hmm. Because the, the main character falls, falls in love with a woman, a woman who's overweight. And he's, we see him struggling trying to uh, tell his friends who have uh, very pronounced opinions on uh, dating fat people and, uh, and you see him struggling with his own idea of of what's right and what's wrong and him trying to do the quote-unquote nice thing or the good thing following his heart. But in the end, he is, he's unable to, to, to let all the societal judgments and all right. of his own insecurities with the relationship roll off his back. And so it just doesn't work out. And, and again, what's so fascinating is it is a gray area. In one sense, it, it's next to impossible to have a relationship with somebody who you feel like you can't show your friends or who your friends don't accept. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, shouldn't yeah, shouldn't we strive for more? Shouldn't we try to be better people? Mm-hmm. And instead of just judging superficially, instead of being cowardly, mm-hmm. Yeah, trying trying to be a little bit more than ourselves. Definitely, and I, I think that 
I, I mentioned this the night of that we all hope that we can have that strength and we can we can challenge ourselves like that. But it, I mean, it's really honest how yeah. difficult that is on a day to day basis and how much uh, it seemed like the main character ha- would have to sacrifice in order to follow his heart. And uh, and I remember we talked about this too because there's two characters, the two sort of male characters who are friends, mm-hmm. and um, the the one who tries to have the relationship. With uh, the fat woman, he—he's—we can almost criticize him for because he was trying to—he's trying to be a better person. But in that, there was some kind of deception, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Or his friend who makes no bones about only dating good-looking women, and that's just his shtick. But at the same time, he's honest, yeah. you know. And it's, and, and, it's, it's brutal, but uh, you're not. Nobody's going to be misled by him. You yeah, know? it's uh, it really is such a a wrenching feeling because the the friend who is openly um, prejudiced against fat people mm-hmm. is at least honest about that prejudice, whereas the main character who is trying to follow his heart has the ingrained prejudice and is not willing to admit it to himself or to his partner, and in the end, it hurt, ends up hurting them both. Yeah, I, I think that's why this play was so great and yet so uncomfortable for mm-hmm. both of us while we were watching it, mm-hmm. you know? Because we, we don't want to say that the friend who is just, um, who owns up to his prejudice, we don't want to say that he is the uh, in the right on this, you know? No, no, we certainly it's like, don't. It, it, but there's all these weird entanglements. It really, it's really uncomfortable and really ambiguous. Definitely, um, and I think one thing that this recall that it reminds me of is uh, that we in the theater you are sat you're sat in a fashion to the stage that you see the audience on the other side of the stage. So not right. only are you watching the play as it unfolds, you do see the responses and the reactions of other people, and sometimes right. other people are laughing, and then sometimes other people are absolutely just cringing as i was in many uh, a moment yeah. um and it's and it's fascinating to see that as well because everyone's response to this will be different and i think from men to women to from larger people to smaller people to anyone who's grown up in in society or in different societies where um, the shape of someone's body is valued in a different way. I think right. there's so many important ideas that are going on in this play. And also, in, from that seating arrangement where you're, const- where you're not only watching the play, but you're watching the audience, it's, it makes it more personal. Definitely. You can't just abstract this into the ether, you know? Mm-hmm. This is, you, you know, because the audience, the other section of the audience is watching you. You're part of it. You're implicated in it. Definitely. There's no, there's no escaping, you know, away and just pretending that this is a nice story and mm-hmm. walking and, away afterwards. And the way that it ends, it's, it's almost you want to clap because it's been done so well, but you also are. It's <laughs> such a like wrenching ending that you just. Yeah. It's like I don't want to clap for the the storyline, but I need to applaud the the actors who do by far an amazing job. Yeah, it's it's like a stunned silence mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is one way to indicate you've done an effective and wonderful job as a theater company. Uh, very much so. Well, Carrie, thank you so much again for going out to see it with me and for reviewing it for the Arts Report. We hope oh, to have you. you. No problem. We hope to have you back reviewing some other things in the very near future. I'm sure. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Bye. 
That was Carrie Baptist from the News 101 team. And uh, speaking of theater, uh, I also spoke with the head of the Bard on the Beach Festival earlier today because tomorrow, Bard on the Beach opens. And I want to remind everyone that the Neil Labute film um, theater play, excuse me, hello, um, is on stage until this Saturday, that's May 30th, at Performance Work on Granville Island. Get out to see it. It's really, really worthwhile. Um, Carrie and I really enjoyed it. And over the next couple of months, you'll be able to see lots of Shakespeare in the park. So here's my uh, conversation about the new season of Bard on the Beach with the artistic director. Here you go. I've had the great pleasure to reach Christopher Gaze, the artistic director and founder of the Bard on the Beach Festival, which is celebrating its 20th year this summer. And uh, as of tomorrow, everything will be hitting the stage and getting getting ready and going. So I've asked Christopher to come on the show today and to tell us a little bit about what's in store for the 2009 season. Christopher, thank you so much for being here. It's a great pleasure. Well, so what's on stage? What what as of tomorrow night, Bard on the Beach is officially on the go. So what can people expect to see this season? Well, that's right. Tomorrow is the first of uh, about 225 performances of the Shakespeare, and uh, we open tomorrow, or we preview, I should say, with Othello, a play we've never done before, one of Shakespeare's great tragedies. So it's a, a big challenge for us. Absolutely. And, uh, but it's a great play, and so, God willing, we'll do it very well, and uh, and it'll be revealing and interesting for people to come and see. Have you been avoiding it before, or has it just not been the right time to bring that particular play to the stage? Well, I would, we'd love to have brought it before. It's always been, it's like all these plays, Hamlet mm-hmm. in particular, mm-hmm. uh, don't do it uh, <laughs> if you don't have the right actor in mind to play the leading part. Absolutely. So who and, have you uh, got on stage this year? Well, his name is Michael Blake, and uh, he's a wonderful actor, and uh, we've been uh, courting him for two or three years, and finally uh, he's able to come. And so uh, he uh, has the title role. And, and so Othello begins uh, tomorrow. And then we follow that, uh, uh, well, I think uh, about ten days later, mm-hmm. with the Comedy of Errors. Right. And uh, Which I'm in. <laughs> Fantastic! That put you off. <laughs> of course uh, not. No, but I just I have a small part in it, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's fine. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, last year I had a very big part. I played Lear last year. Oh. Uh, so this this year uh, I played the Duke in Comedy of Errors. But um, Dave McKay has worked his magic on it. By the way, Dean Paul Gibson has directed a fellow. Uh, they, these uh, these guys are just fantastic directors. So mm-hmm. um, it's all going to be thrilling. I saw a fellow last night, uh, and uh, and we have the dress rehearsal tonight. So it's uh, these are exciting times. Absolutely. And how do you go about putting a season together from year to year? When you mix things up, I mean, having something on the stage like Lear last year, and then having a fellow and Richard II this year. These are huge plays, uh, but they're also very well counterbalanced with the comedy of errors and with All's Well That Ends Well. What goes into choosing what your season uh, is going to be? It, uh, some of it's common sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it is gut mm-hmm. um, and feel, uh, availability, many different factors. Uh, but it's it, truly the bottom line is balance. Mm-hmm. And there must be a balance. Otherwise, you leave yourself vulnerable. Right. And, uh, to, and, and we're not uh, afraid of... Uh, 
uh, a very uh, a diverse balance. Uh, hence, as you say, uh, Richard II, all's well, playing the, in the Douglas Campbell studio stage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a fellow in comedy on the main stage. But uh, the big theatre is a big theatre. It's 520 seats. Right. And that's a lot of seats to fill. Uh, the Campbell Theatre is 240. So we try and figure out which play should play which theatre and uh, get it as right as we can. Right. Well, I mean, I know that there was concern earlier in the year whether or not the very usually packed and well-attended um, B- Bard BQ, which is the mix of the barbecue and the play and the stellar fireworks in July, there was questions earlier in the season whether or not that was going to happen this year. That's right. It's, um, it's a tricky thing uh, for the, that, uh, the fireworks uh, society uh, to pull off because... Uh, it's massive in scope and, lead, and needs um, a lot of um, a sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And this is a difficult year for sponsorship uh, because of the economic downturn. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, they've managed to finesse it. And uh, uh, we were all set, frankly, if they weren't going to go ahead to insert some matinees and other performances on those particular days, the Saturdays anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's exciting for Vancouver. It's exciting for Barnum. Now, I, I'm sorry that this uh, interview comes to a close here. We had some technical difficulties at the station uh, earlier today, so I wasn't able to get to the end. But it is an exciting season that will be heading onto the stage tomorrow. That's Bard on the Beach, uh, breaking out with uh, their production of Othello. I will be sending my theatre critic, Paul Riviere, out to see that performance next Thursday. So ne- if you tune into the News 101 broadcast next Friday, he'll have a good review of that for you all out there. And can you believe it? We've come to the end of another show. Um, Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. And thanks to all my fantastic guests this week. A real great devotion of time by other people and people doing amazing art in this city. So as per usual, let me please encourage all of you to get out there. Go see some shows. The Neil LeBute play Fat Pig is on until this Saturday. Les Mis is running right through until the middle of July. And uh, next Tuesday, at the Pacific Cinematheque. Head on down for a free screening of Electric Messiah by Office Farm Films. Um, And until then, until then, I will have to leave you here. My name, again, is Tracy Fuller. And if you want to get in touch anytime, you can always reach me at arts at citr.ca. And uh, to leave you today, I'm going to play you a track from Peaches, a.k.a. Meryl Beth Nisker, who is an electronica musician par excellence. Uh, She's got a new album album out called I Feel Cream and it was released just at the beginning of May and uh, she'll be playing at the Commodore Ballroom this Sunday night that's the last day of May alongside Drums of Death and CITR's very own DJ Betty Ford so here with the first single from her new album it's called Talk to Me on CITR 101.9 FM thanks so much for tuning into the Arts Board come back and meet me here again next week have a great week enjoy the sun and uh, take care you talk